0: Welcome to the Yours in Marketing Podcast. Hey, it's Blake here. If this is the first time that you're joining us on the Yours in Marketing Podcast, do me a favor. Please go wherever you get your podcast, doesn't matter where, and please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast right now, well, or after the episode, whichever works for you. We're really looking for your support so that we can build this and make it even more valuable for you. So please rate, review, and subscribe, the Yours in Marketing podcast. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. This week on the Yours in Marketing podcast, I was able to speak with Joel Harrison, who is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of b2bmarketing.net. And he is super intelligent about B2B, and he's been in this space for nearly two decades. He really knows what he's talking about. Some of the main points, things that you're going to learn in this episode that I found really interesting and that I know you will too. First off, we talk about the current state of B2B and what's important. Then we talk about the common thread between ABM, MarTech, and CX and how it all applies to B2B. And then finally, you're going to get some really useful insights into using thought leadership to build a trustworthy brand. So, for in-house marketers, business owners alike, everyone's going to really enjoy this one, especially if you're in the B2B space. I highly recommend it. Without any further ado, here is the interview with Joel Harrison. And we're live on the podcast, Yours in Marketing, with Joel Harrison today, who is the editor in chief and co-founder at B2B Marketing. So, Joel, introduce yourself, you have, if you have any like good jokes to open with. know. <laughs> No
1: pressure. <laughs> uh, hi, Blake. Nice. Uh, thank. Thank you for inviting me to join the podcast today. Really lovely to be here, and looking forward to talking to you and and kind of sharing some insights. Of hopefully, be useful and interesting to your audience.
0: Absolutely. So J- Joel is he, he's got a wide background of things that he's done. We're going to talk specifically B two B marketing and and ABM, and there there are a lot of things that we can touch on here. But first and foremost, before we get started into all that, I want to just learn a little bit more about you. So. As I understand you got your university degree in urban planning which of course melts perfectly into a marketing career. So I was I was wondering like were you what were you planning on actually doing in your career? Were you planning at some point on being a business owner? Were you going to do urban planning? What was the original intent?
1: The question you're asking is what the hell were you thinking sure. of with your career? That was such a stupid <laughs> idea. Um so I mean I I I, don't know, I did I up doing urban planning because I just kind of liked buildings in the built environment um, and towns and people how people live uh, and I hadn't really I wasn't mature enough to actually thought about a career but and I went but you know in the back of my mind my dad was in direct marketing in the seventies and eighties and he worked for people like Wondermans and Leo Burnett's um, and I you know as a like a fourteen year old I did. My, my work experience and if you do work experience in the US schools where they were only about 14 they just kind of send you out to go and spend a couple of weeks in the summer in, in some kind of office and my, you know rather than me going shacking sell shelves in a supermarket, my dad said well, why don't you come and hang out in the studio in Leo Burnett's and that was cool because it was like in central London in Covent Garden it was and all these guys doing cool stuff so that was there in my mind sorry this is a long version of the story
0: take as long as you want that's very
1: interesting <laughs> very kind of you to say so and then i went to university loved, loved, went to nottingham university great university I, i'd been writing um, a satirical student magazine when i was in my in my um uh, my school uh, my, my high school mm. and uh, and then i got involved in writing the student newspaper edi- uh, being news editor of that i thought that was fantastic i thought well this is what i really want to do and so went out and became a professional journalist and then about about 10 years maybe trying to think how long it would, would have been uh, 94 yeah almost 10 years after I graduated I was having this conversation with a friend of mine going well we could work for ourselves what, what could we do and he was in marketing for what's now let Lexis nexus part of rbi which is a kind of uh, international publishing organization we're like oh yeah well we could write we could like start our own magazine where's the gap in the market oh, i was b2b marketing so in the uk there were hundreds of b2b 100 magazine magazines about marketing but there was nothing in b2b and we thought this is the gap in the market and then you spend the rest of your life you think it's a good idea we think oh, well, i have to get some money and oh, it sounds a bit difficult and then you spend the rest of your life thinking well but don't do this i'll always wonder what if so here we are 15 years later and Sometimes it feels like longer.
0: What, what was the original moment where marketing kind of got on your radar?
1: Well, it's, it's always been on my radar because of my dad. Um, sure. it's, it's always been there. And so it was really, really hard to say that. But I think it was... I think in terms of B2B marketing, um, I remember seeing a copy of a... I think it was... There's a few things. Some of them are relatively trite. I remember... Meeting, meeting a girl who I quite liked and uh, she had working for an advertising agency that worked um, uh, that one of the, she said that one of our clients are pickup truck manufacturers and I was thinking how do you advertise how do you promote a, a pickup truck company what do you say mm. about them and, and it just occurred to me there's this whole world of, of like business stuff where you're talking about things in a much more kind of less consumer emotionally led, less facile area and, and 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 that was kind of one of the things that made me think about B two B and understand how how different it is. And it's just a, it's for me it's a rabbit hole. And I just the further I go down, it the, more, the further I want to go.
0: So you you kind of touched on the story of how B two B marketing started, but I would love to go a little bit deeper on it because if if I were to tell you like I I mean I don't have to tell you starting a magazine based company up front has its challenges. I would I would love to kind of hear what those biggest challenges of starting a media based company up front were and and what the full story was of how the idea came about, how you partnered up and how you actually made this thing happen.
1: Well Blake, the first thing is to say that to start, start up a print based publishing company in twenty nineteen is is almost crazy. Is you'd almost have to be certifiably insane to want to do it. I mean, it was pretty bad in in two thousand and three, two thousand and four. You know, today it's so digital, and the whole world's changed. I, I think the, the kind of what what got us to want to do that. I think that that was that was the world that I that I knew, and my business partner knew to a certain extent. That was the model in which information was consumed in those days. And 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 what's happened? You know, when we launched in two thousand and four, it was very much around we have a magazine and then we'll probably try to do some events and some conferences. And we launched an awards program very soon after that. And then a lot of other stuff kind of built and snowballed around that. And the organization's changed. It, we still have a print magazine, but it's quarterly and it's, it's very much a, a part of a portfolio rather than being the whole thing that we do. So have I answered your question? I think I've just rambled for, for about five
0: minutes. <laughs> I th- I th- yeah. I think that answers my question, but what are some of the key challenges of, of this though? Like, even back in 2004 whenever it was it must have been something that people still thought you were kind of crazy for wanting to pursue right
1: yeah i mean there's a difference between b2b or in the us you kind of say it's B-T-O-B, whereas we say it in the uk b2b that's a bit um, in the us b2b has been a much more understood codified recognized serious part of marketing for a lot longer than it had what it was in, in the uk and that was a thing we you know in the in the uk we were aware there was a magazine called b2b in the states for for, for decades you know it had been there since like 19 it's not just, it been like 90 years or something like that and they didn't, they didn't exist in the uk so we were going so there's all these marketing publications in the uk on but none of them are on b2b and yet there's this kind of thriving scene in the u.s so why does why is that i don't understand so that gave us the kind of the the, the confidence to, to 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 kind of To go out and raise some money and and um put our life savings on the line and, and you know quit our jobs and and we were lucky because i was about i was 30 and i wasn't married i had no kids i had no mortgage right and so it's a sweet spot and i think there's I think it's a bit different today, but because you access to capital is a bit easier, and being an entrepreneur is a bit easier—well, not not easier, but, but there's more. It's more common. But but at that time, it was a sweet spot, and you had not. You had you know you weren't putting as much on the line because you had less invested. So it felt like sure. give this a go, see what happens. You'll learn from this.
0: Was that was that a difficult decision to make in the
1: moment? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was pretty tough. Uh, the risk of getting too poignant my mum my got cancer and it made me think well you know what we're only here once and if you don't do this it's not a rehearsal you'll only will spend your life rest of your life wondering what if so it, it was a real kind of carpe diem moment
0: has there been another any other point in this company where you feel like you had to make an even more difficult decision than just the decision to start it
1: oh that's tough and there's probably been one, but I'm not really prepared to talk about on air. There've been there've been a few along the way that we've had some 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 uh, some some tough moments. Sometimes you've had to let people go. Sometimes you've had to emotionally disconnect with products and that you and offerings that you really like. I mean, as as a journalist, it's very easy to be a purist about the the product and the content. Be producing, and actually, you have to abandon that quite early in the journey. So, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a series of compromises, I guess. But but you know, I, I believe in what we're doing, and, I, and I'm I'm really proud of where we've got so far, and, and excited about the future. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned like as a journalist, it's a li- maybe a little bit easier for you with that background, and as a company founder, to let go of certain things for the purity of journalism, for the purity of your content. But when you look mm-hmm. at maybe other founders that are more technical based that are software developers or things like that, a lot of the times in B2 B you'll see these companies that are really not willing to let go of a bad idea or something that just didn't work. yeah yeah is that is that something that you've ex- you've experienced like do you, do you believe that your journalism background has actually helped you a little bit to stay true regardless of if, you know if, if you have to give up an idea or not?
1: No, I think the opposite. I think the opposite. The the the. I, I mean, my business partner sometimes jokes that I'm the tortured artist. Um, well, I mean, compared to him, I definitely am. But com- you know, I'm not. I'm not an. Art- I'm definitely not an artist. I'm. I. I guess I have a creative role. I guess thinking about your question earlier on, to come back to it a while back, I remember um, a very difficult, some very difficult conversations around 2009, in the wake of in the kind of credit crunch. Yep. Which you know, hit really hard over here. Hit small businesses really hard, particularly They're kind of in the, in the aftermath of the Lehman Brothers, for example. You know, the few weeks, months after that, and our, our our actually our advertising, print advertising, kind of really seemed to disappear about six months before. Then it was really strange, and and it became apparent that that our magazine. That was a point where as the magazine was no longer going to be the future, the center of the business. And it was going to be digital. And we had to do everything we could to develop whatever new products we needed to do to survive and to evolve. And, and that was a very difficult moment, I think. But it's, it's Nietzschean, isn't it? You know, if it doesn't kill you, then it'll only make you stronger. And I think it's definitely done that.
0: No, for sure. Why, I'm curious to know why B2B and not B2C? Why not something else? What drew you to the business-to-business
1: side? Yeah it's a good question but the the, the simple answer is that uh, like I say, in the UK um, there were I think there was something like 15 magazines about marketing when we launched mm-hmm. and 14 of those were about consumer marketing so there was absolutely no point in writing another producing another magazine on b2c <laughs> marketing it was ridiculous so there's that and related to that there was this is an unexplored area and, and so you know it was there was a huge amount of potential there was a lot of risk associated as well but the, the other bit was that was the underdog thing um, you know b2c was b2b was seen as was Un- unrecognized unreflected seen as a poor relation that really really appealed to me and and you know and it, it still is to a certain extent but i also, the underdog thing, but also then, then, then there's the kind of geeky bit to it as well you know the the, the b2b b2b is the geeks in marketing and i, and I love that <laughs> yeah. i really love that it's the, they're, not, they're not doing things because they're sexy and fun they're doing things because they're tough <laughs> and and uh, and, um, and and when you do something that's tough and you do it well it's so satisfying what's
0: what would you say as the the founder, the editor in chief of B2B marketing is the most challenging part of your job?
1: I think that currently it's trying to find my current biggest challenge is trying to extricate myself from, from the business. Um, My current challenge is to be working. I don't know if you have the expression in the States, but to find the balance between working in the business and working on the business. And and I'm Mm -hmm. definitely, I'm working less in the business and I need to work. I need to, to accelerate that process and work even less in the business and work more on the business. And my actually my challenge, uh, we've set ourselves for me for the next kind of nine months to a year is for me to kind of disappear off altogether and ideally go and wear and write a right book and start becoming better known and help, help being kind of more an evangelist for B2B marketing more generally. Uh, so, but then uh, there's all these things I'm getting involved with and I'm, you know, little. You know, and as a magazine editor, you, you have all these great ideas about content and you want to execute them and you want to make them happen. And, you know, and doing podcasts like this is great and doing webinars and all these things. But then the more of those you do, then the less chance you have to do for anything else. So it's, I guess they could boil it all down to time management.
0: Sure. Kind of broadening out, if you look over the course of your entire career, not just at B2B marketing, which is the, the bulk of it, obviously the past 15 years, but what has been the most consistently challenging part of your career as a whole?
1: I think, um, as an entrepreneur, it's probably been to be numerate because I'm not numerate. As I'm, I'm not very, I'm, <laughs> I'm really not very good at math, mm-hmm. and that's something which we see in our audience all the time. You know, they're the one thing that other CMOs that they all recognise that they need to be better at is is financial uh, literacy. So I'm, I'm not alone in that. Sure, um, but it just doesn't come naturally to me. But in terms of my role, I think it's probably the the bit the kind of journey i've been on is also as, as a speaker and um to become a thought leader as i'm someone who i'd actually really class myself as an introvert rather than an extrovert mm. and so i had to get outside of that and beyond that and be comfortable standing in front of a thousand people at our, our conferences that you know that that's that's taken some some time but but it's and i would encourage anybody to go on that journey because it's very rewarding once you've mastered your fear of, of, of public speaking and i believe that anybody can do it
0: well, let's let's dive into that a little bit more because now you 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 speak often. You're a podcast guest, obviously, all the time. You're doing all of these different things. If you classify yourself as an introvert, it may be a little bit more difficult to do this, but you're doing it. And I'm curious as to. You know, I, I, I'm i not sure I can really pick your brain as to how to gain confidence. So I'm not going to ask that necessarily. But just in terms of the business, I'm curious as to what impact or value you perceive all of these efforts in speaking and going on podcasts actually have on your business.
1: Well, it's a... At the risk of sounding like I'm being unadventurous in a, in a tactic. I mean, it's quite a tried and tested route for organizations particularly organizations in the marketing sphere in the marketing technology sphere to have to use a book as an aspect of thought leadership to strengthen the personal personal brand cachet of an individual mm-hmm. and consequently the brand and you know every a load of people have done it mark Benhoff is a classic example mm-hmm. of that um uh, steve woods is one digital body language is one that i always refer back to so that's the that's the kind of journey that we that i we would like and i would like to go on so that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the plan. And, and, and you also, you see, you know, it's, it's a way of developing personal cachet mm-hmm. to, to, as, as a sort of thought leader. But in answer to your question before, which you said, you do want to ask me, I'm going to answer, I'm going to ask it anyway, I assume you ask it anyway, which is around <laughs> how you actually kind of get over that process. I, I mean, I, I really believe that actually, it's just about exposure therapy. It's just about Putting yourself out there and, and and you know and starting small, starting on things like webinars where actually um, or, or podcasts, um, you know where you can't where you where you are talking to an audience, perhaps not live, perhaps recorded, mm-hmm. and and but you can't see them, and so get comfortable with that, get comfortable being spontaneous in that bit comfortable as a presenter and as a speaker and then start moving up to perhaps um, smaller panel discussions and things like that Um, you know ask go to events ask questions standing up asking a question is difficult I think it's one of those things you break down that break down those 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 kind of barriers one by one and and, and actually uh, um, you look around in a year's time and realize that you don't you this isn't alien to you anymore this is a a re you can do this
0: do, do you believe that this is this really is a journey that like most, if not all, B two B leaders should be taking using these tactics to grow their companies, going on podcasts, going and doing speaking, even if it's not necessarily their forte.
1: So there's this two. I'm going to separate those two things out, right? I think that becoming comfortable speaking and being and and being putting yourself, building up your personal profile, is a I think a really key thing for for market, senior marketers to do. You know, it's, it's about becoming rep- a representation of of your brand, of your organisation. You know, increasingly marketers are the are the ones in the organisation that are well placed to do that. Often CEOs aren't very good at doing that kind of stuff. And you know, a really good example, I was speaking recently to, to Joe Highlands from CMO. Uh, you know, and he is um, this increasingly the You know, he's there, the CEO there. Does do a little bit of speaking, but Joe fronts their conferences on um, with Mark Bornstein, and, and um, his ability to be to be playing in that field, be playing in, in the role of strategy, and then being able to communicate the strategy is really critical. It, it, it plays to the, the the essential challenge for B2B marketers, which is to be taken more seriously in the organization. And if you can speak authoritatively and clearly and represent the organization, then you are taken seriously. So I really believe that um, that this is something, that, that a journey that marketers should strive to go on. And if you're not prepared to strive to go on it, you're probably always going to be seen as some kind of support function. You know, the salespeople won't have a problem doing that at all. And the FD, if, if they're actually able to Speak coherently in public. We probably won't have that problem either. So I, you know, and and I, I hear this echoed, reflected in the, amongst the CMOs, the the ones that I are members of our network, who I really respect. You know, they're the ones that are prepared to get out there, and 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 I think that you know, it's a it's a two way street. You you do that, and you'll 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 be more successful, and but taken more seriously, and. I would thoroughly recommend it. That's not to say that that those everyone needs to go away and write a book. That's a particular scenario for somebody in probably a bit more my my. It's more of an entrepreneurial thing rather than someone being a, a CMO. Which so so it, it may be appropriate, but I think it's less likely to be appropriate. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I, I'm curious. You're talking about thought leadership, being able to help build the brand, build your your kind of persona at the company as well. But what were you doing at the beginning of B2B marketing to build up your thought leadership?
1: I wasn't really. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, the role of a magazine editor is is to to start with precisely nothing at the beginning of the month and end up with that month of 80 pages of content. That are is well produced, coherent, robust, and authoritative, and so that was the sum total of what I was doing when we launched B2B marketing. Uh, but also, if you, if the, the, I think one of the interesting things is that is that how we positioned ourselves as a, If you're positioning yourself as a magazine, and your job is to reflect what the market is saying, um, and um, and it's less about offering your own opinions about it, and actually, what we've because of the way the media landscape has shifted we recognize that, well, the position of a pure play magazine doesn't really exist anymore. You know, that essentially that we've been disintermediated. You know, you know brands, you know, you, you work for an agency, so, you know, you're, you're, you're and an agencies now are very good at running their own market engagement their own thought leadership. And so so if you're, if you're not the intermediary, then what are you? Well, then you're probably becoming the authority. And so I think that's probably a critical understanding of how, my, how, how I perceive my role to have changed. And, and this is something that my business partner has – is fully on board with, and even though he doesn't want to be the one who's being authoritative, because he's the most gregarious, shy person you ever met, he's he, he recognizes as a brand. That's the journey that we've we're moving on, and we need to move further towards. So over over time, then,
0: what what other tactics, other than thought leadership, have you used to grow and market this to others in a way that's actually built a loyal following?
1: What you mean for? Talking about the transition for our brand now, are you talking about um, my personal positioning or both?
0: I, I guess a little bit of both. More specifically, on the B two B marketing side, with building okay. the company up.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. Good, so, good question. So, I think what we've tried to become is more of an authority in our own right in in, in kind of core topic areas. So, we understand we we we, we, we gauge the um, the interest areas of our audience, and we seek to uh, to help them to to be more. Were pointed in terms of how they should address those challenges. So we we do um, a number of kind of uh, high end reports a year, uh, focusing on three topics in particular: ABM, CX, and uh, MarTech. And then there's another one on, on kind of leadership more generally. And so we so that's we provide some leadership within that. And then we offer training as well, so we can take your 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 staff and train them on the on these areas and many many others as well. And then we actually in the last year or so we've just launched um, a, a, an advisory piece. So if you're looking at ABM, for example, and you and you have and you're not doing ABM currently, which is where most people in the UK certainly are, and you're looking to do it, well, we'll take you help, We'll we have a program to help you build a pilot, and then you can and that which which can prove a concept for ABM, and then you can and then we'll help you on from there if you want to move further with it. So, you know, we're moving from people just say here's some ways you might want to do this to this is our way we think you should do it, and by the way, we'll help you do it as well. So so it's becoming more more forthright, more authoritative, less just reflective, and less a conduit, more a, a source of authority in our own right. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. And I, that segues perfectly because I do have questions about ABM. This is still something that not every marketer out there is understanding or has heard of quite yet. It's It's fairly new. It's been growing for a while kind of in the background, and now it's coming to the forefront. But... I, would, I had, over, I had the, the folks at Terminus on the podcast before to talk a little bit about this, but I would love your take on what ABM is, what it really means for businesses, how it's changing things in B2B.
1: So so, what, so let's take those in turn. What ABM is. The best description for ABM that I know of is a lady called Beth Burgess who works out of the UK, um, but she does a lot of work internationally as well. And she says, it's just good marketing. It's the marketing we should all have been doing all along. But actually, B2B marketing has been a bit broken for many years. And why is it broken? Because it's really understanding the decision-making unit as a whole, and it's connecting properly with sales in order to, to, to properly engage that 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 decision-making unit and to and, get, and, and to, to communicate with them throughout the buying cycle and, and deliver something which they need. And so many aspects of that have been broken, particularly in the last 10 years, which has been very dominated by The demand generation wave where we've been focusing on targeting individuals we've had these wonderful bits of technology which allow you to do mass personalization which means that you can send thousands of millions of emails out to people without really understanding where any of them go and we've kind of so so it's i see abm in many ways as a reaction to that and an understanding of what it what we should have been doing it's also empowered by technology things like terminus do a really good job for that in some aspects of abm and, and, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a restructuring, a rethinking of allowing marketing and sales to work together. And it, and it really helps make a cohesive approach for sales and marketing in a way that B2B has always struggled with. And so it's, it's very welcome in that perspective. That, that was one of your questions.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that, that helps a lot. In terms of the the specific process or, or the method of abm what what does it actually look like if we were to break it down as to what the current usual process for a company is for marketing as opposed to if we were to say all right let's we got to switch to more of an abm model what would that process of switching look like
1: well it kind of depends on what kind of abm you're doing and in the states there tends to be much more of a gravitation towards what i don't know if you're aware of this there's a there's a company called Itzma who produce a pyramid which describes different tiers of ABM. And um, the top tier is one-to-one. So one com- so you're focusing on one organization. And it's so you can be very, very highly personalized and highly focused on that on those individuals. And you can create incredibly personalized content for them and really understand all the nuances of what they, they need and have really deep an- analysis on all of the members of the decision-making unit. Um, and and, be, and you're pursuing them for quite a long time in, in, a, in, a, in a near – Stalk, well, pretty highly stalkerish kind of environment but the other end of the spectrum is what's called programmatic so you're, you're typically targeting um, you could be targeting hundreds and you could even be targeting thousands of accounts and that's much more um, that's that's much more using technology. It's about it's more about serving ads and, and responding to those ads in, in that way, and using buyer intent signals to direct sales teams. And you're trying to you're trying to map that across account structures. But it's much closer to what we might already understand as demand gen as, as demand generation activities. It, it is different because it's empowered by the kind of holistic view of accounts and and other you know IP tracking and things like that. Other other new other relatively recent innovations and you know, they're using AI to make these things much better. And, and there's this personalization platforms, which mean that when you do what you people go get to once they follow the ads, then they, they'll, they'll, they'll um, uh, see much more relevant experience based on what it is you're trying to sell them. So I, th- I think that, so the answer to your question is, it, is it depends, which is a <laughs> classic answer to a question of anything in B2B. <laughs> sure. Of course. At a base level, it requires a much deeper, it, it requires a lot more personalization, a lot more customer insight, uh, and a much better connectivity, uh, an alignment with sales. If you're really not deeply aligned with sales, ABM just won't work. It, it requires, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we, we were all promised that demand generation fixed the problem with sales, but it didn't actually, it just created a new field for argument. Actually with ABM, you just, you need to be so much more on the same page. Otherwise you, you just, you just, just forget it. It's just not going to work.
0: Sure. Well, th- the, when I was interviewing the the people over at Terminus, they actually and and this is a, a mantra that they have ongoing now, but they've said ABM is B two B. I'm wondering how that hits you.
1: Uh, I'm not I'm not going to necessarily disagree with that. Sometimes the ABM vendors are very good, very quick to tell everybody they're taking over the world, <laughs> and in some ways and in some ways they are. But I don't think programmatic ABM is B two B there's a whole swathe of activity which is much more personalised, which which is not which does not sit into the programmatic field. So I'm going to take a little bit of a pinch of salt. But but I do but there is a um, a rich vein of cynicism about ABM, which I really understand. But but I but I, I would urge anyone who's cynical about it to 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 really to abandon your cynicism, I really don't think it's a helpful way of thinking because ultimately we all stand to benefit by being open to this, by understanding what ABM is and working at how it can work for you, um, or and seeing within the context of your overall demand strategy. And it might not be relevant to your demand strategy, but it, but if it is, and I would urge you to look at it because if you won't be looking at your competitors, will be. We only stand to gain from this; we don't stand to lose. It is you know. I know that buzzwords attract cynicism, but but I do think. But if you'd listen to, there's a guy in the UK called. Malcolm, Professor Malcolm McLaren, and he was one of the people who wrote, he wrote the first book on key account strategy, so this is for salespeople, and his take is this is writing a great wrong that's existed in B2B marketing for like 40 years, B2B sales and marketing. It's actually, they, they got, there was B2B sales and marketing were kind of torn apart and turned into separate disciplines. They never should have been. They should always have been one discipline, and ABM, or we built on key account uh, management practices. Combine them back together again, and and you know, and 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 that's a that feels like a kind of a a, a cosmic healing process that, that we all. That, um, if anyone has charted the the, the 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 misanthropic relationship that those two functions have over the decades. It's got to be good news for everybody, I think.
0: It's interesting you say that because I actually interviewed uh, another guest as well that he he has at his company no marketing or sales departments. It's actually one department called the growth department. Yeah. How does that land with you? Like, do you agree with that methodology? Do you think that works for for some businesses, or do you think that we should be a little bit cautious
1: about that? I think I think it can work, and you're increasingly seeing revenue ops functions. Revenue ops is is the hot buzzword of the year, and and that that that's kind of yeah, you know, whether you're targeting revenue, we're targeting growth. It's the same thing. I think I think it can work. I would I would urge caution. I wouldn't do it without people who know what they're doing. I wouldn't. You, you need some people who who have got some reasonable expertise to do it. But if you're starting from a blank blank canvas, it's much easier to do that kind of thing. And I think that's one of the kind of the that's probably one of the points of of the, the of the the argument I've just made, which is that there is a, you know, a lot of um. Kind of emotional and intellectual baggage around the, the disconnect between sales and marketing. And if you can disconnect, if you can shortcut that, then, uh, and, you, and at, particularly for high growth companies, that could be really powerful.
0: One thing that I also noticed there, you're, so you're talking about ABM, Martech, and CX are three things that you really focus on, laser focus on those three things right yeah. now. I'm wondering if you find a common thread amongst those and, and if there's a reason why those are the, the core three right now.
1: There are separate reasons why all three of them are, are relevant right now. Martech is probably the, 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 the thing which underpins all three of them because Martech is the reason why, one of the reasons why ABM has grown to prevalence recently is because it's been, it's a bandwagon that's been jumped on by people like Terminus. And I don't mean that. Negatively about terminus, mm-hmm. right? They're not the only company that's, that's done it. There's sure. a great, it's a great expression which they have found, which existed before, and they've decided that this is this is something which relates to what they're doing. So they've talked about it, and so so it's the tech vendors often which who create so much noise behind something that they they make something they make something happen and make something that comes fashion because they're great at marketing. You know, when, you know, eloquent fantastic brand um, and it's long lamented that they've, that they've kind of been subsumed with an oracle they made marketing automation happen and oracle that more latterly i guess why cx well we live in this digital world and and cx is something in, in the consumer world we all understand how how, how important consumer experiences are customer experiences mm-hmm. are and you know we live in this amazon era whereby if something doesn't turn up tomorrow we feel like our human rights have been compromised <laughs> which is just this extraordinary <laughs> world that we live in isn't it it's, rid-
0: it's insane yeah
1: <laughs> it's instant gratification culture that we have which it, it feels like we're all probably heading to hell in a handcart or something i don't know but um so that's technology orientated even though actually in cx because of the nature of buying cycles in b2b cx is much more than just the digital transactional moment it's actually a huge long journey that people have but but so all of these things martech is so the MarTech theme for us is around how you deploy and use and make the success with that technology. Mm-hmm. But it, the technology is driving CX and technology is, is to us a, to a large extent, driving ABM. So it's a, it's a technologi- technologi- technologization of marketing, I suppose. And there was a chart from Gartner last year, admittedly it slowed down a bit this year, where they showed that investment in technology has is, in, is, is Outstripped investment in agencies, so you know in B two B that was a big deal when we launched. It was the agencies that really helped nurture us and, and supported us. And so to see the the investment tipping over from agencies into the balance of, of marketers' budgets tipping over from agencies into technology shows a real sea change. You know, and you look at Scott Brinker's Martech landscape again; it's slow, it's slowed down, but it's still enormous. So, so it's the technology thing that's driving everything.
0: So you have those three main focuses right now with ABM, MarTech, and CX. And I'm curious if I were to look back 5, 10 years ago for you, what the focuses would have been at that time compared to what they are now.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I can tell you what they were in some respects because we have an annual conference. Um, and up until three years ago, it was on a different topic each year. So the last three years, it's been... Actually, we have we have lots of conferences here. but There's one conference where we, we changed the the um the topic every year so the last three years has been it's coming up in two weeks time last this year last year the year before that it's been abm the year before that it was cx the year before that it was emotion in b2b and that was really predicated by the rise of behavioral economics which i don't know if you know much about behavioral economics it's the the daniel kahneman book uh thinking fast and slow i think it's called and the idea of and, and that was a big wave of interest in that topic and we've had um Rory Sutherland, who's executive chairman at Ogilvy, uh, he's talked to our events. Our, he's an expert in this area, and he's speaking at our our, com- our conference coming up in the States next year. He's fascinating on this topic. So that was a big deal. And I think the year before that, we had we did content marketing, which seemed to be the, the, the big deal. And we had a great con- conference called the Content Avalanche. So, yeah, it, it's And and I think then in that time also, that was, then you're getting then back into the era of marketing automation and all of those, all of those topics. So, but I think the technologization of marketing really started about, you know, about 10 years ago and and on on from there. And it kind of probably hit its stride, so it's about seven years ago. And then a lot lot of the kind of agenda then was driven by uh, marketing channels and it was how you'd use email marketing effectively and changing things like data was an ongoing issue. It, It felt like a different world in those days though. Sure. I'm
0: curious. I want to take a step back a little bit because talking
1: about thought leadership so
0: much with you, it kind of sparked a couple questions with me specifically. Curious in terms of not just growing the brand, not just growing the loyalty, but actually becoming trusted. How were mm. you able to become a trusted brand and establish credibility
1: in B2B? That's a good, very good question. I think that you know, particularly in the current context, that everybody's got their own blog and everybody's everyone's a thought leader that's a very good question i think i mean the answer for us is is partly because of our longevity and it's clear that we've been doing this for a while it's partly uh, you know i'm going to say this and it might sound a bit trite but i think it's true having gray hairs kind of helps i think because it shows Mm -hmm. you've been around you've been around the doing around the block a little bit i'm not saying being older is better far from it but 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 i think that it shows you there's a degree of what's the word Chops, you know, you you literally you you literally got your got your chops doing this. Having a print magazine helps as well. There's a degree of commitment that that shows, and I, I, I think that just the the general karma that you build up over the years has probably helps. It's, I mean, as you say, the cost of entry these days is so much lower, but that that everybody's and lots of people trying to do it. But I would, I think, that some of those things you can't fake time in the market, and
0: and for somebody that's like that's trying to build a brand or trying to just become a reliable go-to source, a valuable source in their industry, but isn't necessarily trying to start their own blog or trying to do their own side project. You know, working in an agency, but also being trying to be a go-to source in their industry. How can they become trusted? Is it kind of the same deal? Is it really just getting hands-on experience or is there any trick to that?
1: Be honest, be authentic, be yourself. I think those, I think those are, those are critical I think I, I think, um, and if that involves saying things which you are not certain about, but be prepared, be prepared to take a punt on something because I'm not sure if that word translates. Do you know what I mean when I say about it? take a punt on something? Oh
0: yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah,
1: some <laughs> some things translate and some things don't. <laughs> yeah, and and be prepared to, for someone to call you out. I think that there's a there's a bit of courage involved, and, and yeah, and take the time the trouble to build your voice because everyone's too busy. But if you're not too you're not you're the one who's not too busy then, then it that's what'll make a difference. So I, I think those are the things which I would suggest.
0: I'm curious as to know um you've written your fair share of content over the years. And I would I would love to know kind of if you have any pro tips for content creators out there. Because there I mean, you you've done so much. It's been more in a I would say a professional manner, obviously. It it's been very related to your business. So for people that may be trying to do their own thing. It may vary a little bit for, uh, but just if you have any pro tips for content creators in general.
1: I guess it, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm quite a long way from the the sharp end of, of a lot of content creation. I might still write the odd blog and the occasional longer longer article, but but not not so much these days. I think um, there's lots of different aspects of it. If you, I think if you're right, when you're, when you're if you're writing blogs on a personal level, and I, I think more generally, don't try and, I think trying to be a smart ass always comes across badly. I think trying to be, you know, writing style, I think it's important to be kind of honest and open and approachable. And when, when people try and be over elaborate or flippant and offhand, I think that, that just smacks of insecure, of insincerity and trying to show off. So I would, I, would, I would counsel against that. I think it's all in the idea as well. You can write the best content piece, blog, article, whatever you want to call it, but actually if the idea isn't, isn't that great? Then, 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 it's, and then it doesn't matter how executed it is. It's just not going to work in the first place. So, so I, I would, you know, it's it's the planning and the and the actual conception is are, are critical. And I, but I also, I mean, sadly, I think these days that we're also such, you know, as discussed earlier on, we're such short attention span people that actually we all prefer images. So if you can make it digestible, accessible via images, then then. Sadly, it'll always get more traction, even the best, most beautifully crafted copy, much to my chagrin.
0: Are are there any mistakes that you see all the time in in content creation that you would correct?
1: I don't sit and consume a great deal of downloadable content myself. So it's a difficult one for me to answer. There's nothing really that's leaping to mind. I I just, I think, I guess the thing I look at, look at, I think I sometimes see is you've gone to all the trouble of creating something. And it's just and i'm look and I'm bored already looking at it you haven't um you know you 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 haven't really you haven't got the right people creating it basically because it's not got the right subject matter subject line image and the the you know it's not arresting me so you know don't you you can you can always do things cheaper but don't scrimp because mm-hmm. there's so much competition out there and and i think i think that 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 um trying to do things cheap sometimes um you you often see that stuff that's Stuff that's cheap and looks cheap and actually just badly res- resonates with your brand.
0: Hmm. I, I just have one kind of final question here for all of us B two B marketers, especially in house marketers out there. Is there an area where you feel like in house marketers and B two B fall short pretty often?
1: Yeah, I think I think the the, the one that's um, is often the case, and it's actually it's it's at the heart of the brand agency agency brand relationship. Is the kind of is the big ideas, and I think that's that's inherently the problem. And particularly, we're seeing at the moment. You know, I had we had a roundtable on this recently with um, some leading B two B agencies here in the UK, and there definitely seems to be a move towards in sourcing in housing of um, of agency teams. Are you, are, you, are you seeing that as well? And amongst your clients, a lot of brands growing their internal marketing agencies or teams
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i think that, that and that's great and i do think that mark brand should have strong internal teams and i do think that they should seek to do some a lot of the workman like stuff uh, in house and 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 beyond that but but i think the bit they always struggle with is the big creative ideas and and and, it, and it's for all it's for for all the obvious reasons you know and that's the that's the place where agencies Will, will always have a role I think and I, and I would urge them to as part of their careers to spend some time externally in agencies I think that being always in always internally being always an internal person will, will kind of hamper your um, your thought process your exposure to those ideas your need to be ruthless and, and and creative and to and fast turnarounds living in a more directly commercial environment as well particularly if you're working in a large uh, marketing function you you can you can be quite removed from the kind of the harsh commercial realities whereas agencies are never very far from those those commercial realities you're nodding sagey there i can see so so there that's what i would say in that answer that that question
0: Awesome. Well, that that's all the questions I have for you. I, I really appreciate you coming on. I would love to give you a chance to just talk about B2B marketing and what you're still building over there. Talk about the conferences you'll be speaking at. And if you have any personal call to actions that you have for the audience to just let them know what you have going on in your life and where they can go to
1: reach you. Okay. So... Thank you for the opportunity to do that. So um, we are really excited at the moment because we're launching our first event in the States, which is B2B Marketing Ignite USA Chicago. is in May 27th, 28th next year. We're currently putting the agenda together. I've already got some great speakers for that. We're looking for a conservatively about 400 marketers attending and it's going to be four content tracks which are the two of the ones I re- recommended, I suggested earlier on, Martech, ABM, Engagement, and also launched another one called Loyalty and uh, sort of called Leadership and Strategy. So it's going to be great. It's, it's our first foray into the States. You know, we have a similar event called Ignite in the UK, which is for 1200 people. You know, we're hoping to, we can grow this event rapidly. And I, you know, if you're, if you're interested in it coming along, uh, we'd love to have, see you there and get your views. Um, as 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 the same with anything, all the other stuff that we do via spy on social media, um, on webinars or, or whatever we do, we're operating multiple channels. So, really interesting talking to you today, Blake, and I appreciate all your fantastic questions.
0: Awesome, thanks again. This was Joel Harrison, who's the editor in chief and co-founder at B two B Marketing. Please go check him out at B two bmarketingnet Marketing dot And uh, if if you are able to go to the conference. Let, reach out definitely um are, are you on twitter yeah. instagram facebook dude you, where's well, your platform I, I
1: go twitter and linkedin linkedin really i the to meet um joel underscore mm. b2b editor
0: got it all right follow him and uh thank you so much joel for coming i was really a pleasure talking to you
1: thanks blake nice to meet you take care
0: And that's it for today's episode. Again, if you're a first-time listener or you've been at it since the beginning, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Wherever you get your podcasts, we've got you covered anywhere you want.